Chapters eleven and twelve of Love's Bitterest Cup by E. D. E. N. Southworth. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Bridget Gage. Chapter eleven. Mary as a marriage bell. Congress adjourned on the fourth of March, and within a week from that time, the crowd that always follows in their wake left Washington, and the city dropped into comparative repose. For not only were all the receptions over, the multitude departed. But the season of Lent was on. The forces enjoyed this time of rest from the world. They attended Old St. John's Church three times a week and lived quietly between whiles, looking forward with pleasant anticipations to the arrival of Lee, and to all the delights that were expected to follow that event. Lee arrived on Easter Sunday morning. His ship had reached New York on the day before. He had obtained leave of absence. And he had only time to catch the latest train to Washington on the run, leaving all his luggage behind him and having not a moment to telegraph his friends of his approach. He reached the city at twelve o'clock midnight, and not wishing to wake the family up at that hour, he took a room at a hotel. But by sunrise the next morning he was up and dressed, had paid his bill, taken a hack from the sidewalk, and was on his way to P Street Circle, to look up his uncle's city house. That Easter Sunday, the family were assembled around the table in the pleasant breakfast room of their house, which looked out upon the circle, where already the parterres were brilliant and fragrant with the earliest spring flowers—hyacinths, pink, blue, and white, daffodils, golden, tulips, flame, and fire color, jonquils like golden cups in silver saucers, bridal wreath, yellow currant, burning bush—all budding but not yet blooming, all the grass of a tender emerald green. All the trees just bursting into leaf, birds singing only as they sing on a spring morning. What a beautiful Easter Sunday is this! Not a cloud in the sky," said Odalite, as she turned from the window to take her seat at the table. Mister Force stood up to ask a blessing, but the doorbell rang sharply, and he sat down again. And before any one could put a question, the door flew open, and Lee rushed in like the wind. Every one jumped so suddenly from the table that chairs were overturned in their haste to welcome the wanderer. There followed much handshaking, hugging, and kissing, rather mixed and confused, until Lee found Odalite in his arms. Then he came to a stop and held her there while he answered questions. "Hadn't an idea your ship was near port. When did you get in?" inquired Mister Force. "Anchored yesterday at half past two. Got leave and caught the three train." Hadn't time to telegraph or even to pack a portmanteau. Can anyone lend me the loan of a clean change of linen? Inquired Lee with a look of distress. Of course, you shall go to my room and help yourself. But you don't look much in want," replied his uncle. Now sit down, Lee. We were just about to begin breakfast when you came in," said Mrs. Force, as the manservant in attendance placed another chair at the table for the newcomer. There was silence for a few moments while Mister Force said the grace. Then the confusion of Babel began again. All asked questions and, without waiting for them to be answered, asked others. Wynnette and Elva, who were home for the Easter holidays, seemed to run a race with their tongues as to which could talk fastest and most. Mister and Missus Force had much to ask and to tell. Odalite and even quaint little Rosemary put in a word when they could get a chance. It is always so when a sailor returns from a long voyage to his family circle. There was but little breakfast eaten that morning, though they lingered long at the table. 
so long that, at length, Mrs. Force felt obliged to ask the question. "'Are you going to church with us this morning, Lee?' "'Of course I am, Auntie. I should be worse than a heathen not to go, if it were only to give thanks for my safe and joyful arrival at home,' replied the young man. "'That is right, my boy. I like to see you hold fast to the faith and practice of your forefathers in this untoward generation,' said Mr. Force. "'Well, then, since you are going with us, Lee, dear, you had better get ready.' "'We have but little time,' advised the lady. "'Come with me to my room, Lee. "'My underclothing will fit you well enough, I am sure. "'Bless you, my boy. "'You have caught up to me in size,' said Mr. Force, "'as he arose from the table to conduct the midshipman. "'The ladies of the circle also went to their chambers "'to get ready for church. "'And this was Lee's welcome home. "'Wynnette, Elva, and Rosemary had a week's holiday "'with which they were all the more delighted "'because of their dear Lee's presence.' Although, as in love and duty bound, he devoted himself almost exclusively to Odalite, yet he found time to take a little notice of his younger friends, to tell them how much they had grown, how greatly they had improved, how womanly they had become since he saw them three years before, and so on and so on. During this week, the preparations for Leonidas and Odalite's marriage were discussed. It was decided that the wedding should take place on the first of April. All Fool's Day! "'What a commentary!' exclaimed Wynnette, when she learned the decision. "'No one had thought of its being All Fool's Day when the date was fixed, "'and now that it was so fixed, "'the circumstance was somewhat too trivial to warrant any change in the time. "'So on the first of April the happy event was appointed to come off. "'I should like to ask Roland Bayard to come up to be my groomsman,' said Lee, "'to no one in particular, since he spoke in full family council.' "'Why, I thought he was at sea,' said Mr. Force. "'No, uncle, he has just got home. "'I had a letter from him this morning. "'He had seen the arrival of my ship in the papers "'and naturally addressed his letters here. "'I suppose his aunt gave him your address.' "'Quite likely she knew it. "'Queer, isn't it?' ruminated Lee. "'Roland and I do happen to make our voyages "'and return simultaneously, or nearly so, "'and without any possibility of intended concert of action.' "'Well, if you happen to start about the same time for a voyage of the same length, "'you will be apt to return about the same time, I suppose.' "'Yes, I suppose so.' "'And now, Lee, my boy, in regard to inviting young Bayard here, "'do so by all means. "'Ask any of your particular friends, "'and ask them to come a day or so beforehand, "'so as to be ready for the occasion.' "'Thank you, Uncle Abel, "'but I think Roland is the only one whom I care to invite.' "'Does the liberty you have given Lee include us all, Papa dear?' inquired Wynnette. "'In what respect, my dear? I don't understand you.' "'May each of us invite one or more very particular friends?' Wynnette inquired. "'You must consult your mother and Odalite about that,' replied Mr. Force, good-humoredly. "'Whom do you wish to ask, Wynnette?' inquired her mother. "'Why, only the Grandiers and the Elks.' "'You mean the young people, of course.' "'Yes, Mama dear.' "'Let me see. There are about eight of them, all counted, six girls and two boys. "'Well, my dear, you know this wedding is to be a private one, in our own parlour, "'and no company is to be specially invited to the wedding. "'But you may write and ask your young friends to come and make us a visit for a week or two, "'so that they may be in the house about that time.' "'Oh, thank you, Mama dear, that will be best of all,' exclaimed Wynnette in delight. 
and that same day she wrote to Oldfield and to Hill Grove to ask the young Grandiers and Elks to come up to Washington about the last of March to make a visit, mentioning that Leonidas had got home from sea, and that he and Odalite were to be married on the first of April, and hoping that they would come in time to witness the wedding, which was to be a very quiet one in their own parlor. Wynnette knew that such letters as these would ensure a visit from those to whom they were written, and she was right. In a very few days came answers from Oldfield and Grove Hill. All the invited accepted the invitations, and would report in Washington on the 30th of March, two days before the wedding. Let us see, again reflected Mrs. Force. There are nine guests coming in all, counting six grandiers, two elks, and young Bayard. Of them six are young girls and three are young men. How shall we dispose of them? Oh, Mama dear, we must pack, like we used to do in the country. Alva and Rosemary and myself can sleep in one room. The four grandier girls can sleep in the large double-bedded room. The two little elks can have the little hall chamber and sleep together. And Roland Bayard and the grandier boys and Lee can have the large attic room and sleep on cots. Never mind where you put young men and boys, you know, said this little household strategist. Well, we must do the best we can for them, replied the lady. And she turned her attention to other matters, to the details of Odalite's simple trousseau, which was only to consist now in a white silk wedding dress, a gray poplin traveling dress, a navy blue cloth suit for the voyage across the ocean, and a few plain home dresses and wrappers, with plenty of underclothing. All the preparations were completed on the morning of the 30th. Even Odalite's trunk was packed, nothing being left out but her bridal dress and traveling suits. Just before tea on the afternoon of the 30th, there was the expected inroad of the Goths and Vandals in the forms of the young people from Oldfield, Grove Hill, and Forest Rest. They all traveled by the same train and arrived at the same hour, a laughing, talking, hilarious, uproarious troop. They were met with a joyous and affectionate welcome. "'And where is my little Rosemary?' "'Where is my quaint, small young woman?' inquired Roland, when he had shaken hands with all the rest. "'Why, here she is. Here she has been all the while,' exclaimed Wynnette, dragging the shy girl forward. "'What, not that tall young lady? Miss Hedge, I beg ten thousand pardons. I was looking for a little girl I used to ride on my shoulder,' exclaimed Roland, in affected dismay, as he took her tiny hand and raised it to his lips. Now Rosemary was not tall, except in comparison to what she had once been. Rosemary was still small and slight, a mere slip of a girl, as everyone called her. She colored and cast down her eyes when her old friend pretended to treat her as a young lady. He saw her slight distress and vexation, and immediately changed his tune. "'Why, yes, sure enough, this is my little Rosemary after all,' he exclaimed. And then she looked up shyly and smiled. "'Come, let me show you your rooms, girls. And you, Leonidas, convey these young men heavenward. You young Shanghais will have to roost in the loft at the top of the house. Beg pardon. I mean you young gentlemen will be required to repose in the attic chambers of the mansion. Indeed, we shall all have to be packed like herrings in a barrel. Beg pardon again. I mean like guests at a hotel on inauguration day. But the more the merrier, my dears,' sang Wynnette, as she danced upstairs in advance of her party. Have you ever been in the aviary at the zoo, when all the birds have been singing, chattering, and screaming at once? If you have, you will have some idea of the condition of Mrs. Force's house on this first evening of their young guest's arrival. 
They chattered in their rooms. They chattered all the way down the stairs. And they chattered around the tea-table. The extension table in the dining-room had been drawn out to its full length to accommodate the party of sixteen that sat down to tea. All these young people sitting opposite each other at the long board, and under the full blaze of the chandeliers, showed how much they had grown, changed and improved during the three years which had elapsed since their last meeting and parting in the country. Odalite was the most beautiful of the group. She was now nineteen years of age. Her elegant form was rather more rounded, her pure complexion brighter, her eyes darker, and her hair richer. Her voice was deeper and sweeter, and all her motions more graceful than before. Wynnette was seventeen, tall, thin, and dark, with the same mischievous eyes, snub nose, full, ripe lips, and short, curly black hair. Elva was fifteen, tall for her age, thin, fair, with soft blue eyes, and light flaxen hair. Rosemary Hedge was also fifteen years old, but very tiny for her age, with slender limbs and little mites of hands and feet, a small head covered with fine silky black hair, a fair, clear, bright complexion, and large, soft, tender blue eyes. The four grandeur girls, Sophie, Nanny, Polly, and Peggy, whose ages ranged from fourteen to twenty, were all of the same type, with well-grown and well-rounded forms, fair complexions, red cheeks and lips, blue eyes and brown hair. Except for difference in age and size, never were four sisters more alike. The two grandeur boys, whose ages were nineteen and twenty-two, were like the girls, with the same well-knit forms, blooming complexions, blue eyes and brown hair. Only their features were on a larger and coarser scale, and their faces were freckled and sunburned. The two elk girls, Melina and Arena, were respectively thirteen and sixteen years old, and both bore a certain family likeness to Rosemary Hedge, except that they were not so tiny in form, or dainty and delicate in features and complexion. They had the large blue eyes and the fine black hair, but their faces were thin, and their complexions sallow. Perhaps the most improved of all these young people, during the preceding three years, were the two gallant young sailors, Leonidas Force and Roland Bayard, with their tall forms, broad shoulders, deep chests, fine heads, handsome faces and full beards, only with a difference, for Lee's hair and beard were of a rich silky brown, while Roland's, alas, were of a rough, fierce red. Upon the whole, the group of young folk around the table was very fair. CHAPTER Twelve: THE MARRIAGE MORN Up, up, fair bride, and call, thy stars from out their several spheres. Take thy rubies, pearls, and diamonds forth, and make thyself a constellation of them all. Done. The first of April was a perfect day. The sky was a canopy of deepest, clearest blue. The sun shone in cloudless splendor. The trees in all the parks were in full leaf or blossom. The grass was of that fresh and tender green only to be seen at this season. The spring flowers were all in a bloom, with radiance of color and richness of fragrance. Birds were singing rapturously from every bush and branch. A lovely day, just the day for a wedding, said Nancy Grandier, as she threw open the shutters of her bedroom window that looked out upon one of the most beautiful parks of the city. Her three sisters, who occupied the same double-bedded room with herself, sleeping two in a bed, jumped up and ran across the room to join her. Yes, a beautiful day. Blessed is the bride that the sun shines on, you know. Oh, I am so glad we all came here, said Polly. 
and I am glad it is going to be a quiet wedding with only ourselves. Oh, girls, I should not have wanted to come if they had been going to have a grand wedding, after the manner of these fashionable city people. I should have been scared to death among so many fine strangers. But now it will be real jolly, said Peggy. And Mr. Force says that as there are enough of us, we may have a dance, after the bride and groom have gone, chimed in Sophie. After the bride and groom have gone, echoed Nanny. That will be Hamlet, without the Prince of Denmark. Well, it can't be helped. We must have the dance without them, or not at all. You know the ceremony is to be performed at half-past seven, the refreshment served at eight o'clock, and the bride and groom will leave the house at nine to catch the nine-thirty train to Baltimore, where they will stop. Tomorrow morning they go on to New York, and the day after that they sail for Liverpool, exclaimed Sophie. Yes, I know, but I don't know why it should be so. I think they might just as well stay here and dance all night with us, and take an early train straight through to New York, as to start from here this evening and stop all night in Baltimore. I think it would be kinder in them, considering how far they are going and how long they will be away. But it would be so fatiguing to Odalite. At least Mrs. Force said so. This is her plan, Polly explained. Well, we had better hurry and dress. It is very warm in this room. Think of feeling summer heat on the first of April in a room where there is no visible fire. Oh, this heating by steam and lighting by gas is just wonderful, exclaimed Sophie. I like open wood fires and astral lamps best, said Nanny. Oh, but the modern improvements are so clean and tidy, put in Peggy. I wonder what our colored servants would say to them, mused Polly aloud. And even others, Miss Sibby, for instance. What would Miss Sibby say to gas and steam? suggested Sophie. Oh, I can tell you what she would say, exclaimed Wynnette, who suddenly entered the room, and mimicked the old lady. She would say, Them as has the least to do with gas and steam, says I, comes the best off, says I. That would be her ipsy dixit, for she don't believe in newfangled notions, as she calls our boasted modern improvements. Oh, Wynnette, already dressed, and we not half ready. We shall be late, I fear, exclaimed Sophie. You will that if you don't stir your stumps. I mean accelerate your action, replied Frank Wynnette. Well, don't wait for us. You go down to breakfast and don't let them wait. I always lose my senses when I try to dress in a hurry, said Nanny, sitting down on a hassock to put on her gaiters. There, I said so. I have gone and put my right foot on my left boot. I mean my left foot on my right boot. I mean, I don't know what I mean. Please go down and don't bother. Don't go crazy. There's time enough. Breakfast won't be ready for half an hour yet, laughed Wynnette as she danced out of the room. The flurried girls composed themselves as well as they could and completed their toilets. Then they went downstairs to the parlor. They found all the family and guests assembled. I hope we did not keep you waiting, said Sophie, the eldest sister, after the morning greeting had been exchanged. Now, Papa, don't flunk. Beg pardon. I mean, don't sacrifice truth to politeness. Let me reply. Yes, Miss Grandier, you did keep us waiting just one minute and a half, said Wynnette, pointing to the clock on the mantelpiece. But Mr. Force had already given his arm to Miss Grandier, and was leading the way to the breakfast room. The others followed. It was a merry breakfast, yet the two happiest ones at the table were the most silent. Leonidas and Odalite neither originated a joke nor laughed at the joke of any other. Such is selfishness of love and joy, whispered Wynnette to Rosemary, who was her next neighbor at the breakfast table. 
When the meal was over, the young people, with the exception of the betrothed pair, who were away somewhere mooning by themselves, returned to the parlor to discuss the duties and pleasures of the day. "'We must decorate the drawing-room,' said Wynnette. "'No, Messieurs Grandeur and Bayard, you are not to go to the Capitol, or to the Departments, or to the White House, or to the Patent Office, or to the Smithsonian, or to the Arsenal, or to the Navy Yard, or to the United States Jail, or to the National Insane Asylum. That, I think, includes the whole unbounded continent. Nor to any other public institution. No, nor on any other sightseeing expedition. You are just to get a Washington directory for your guide, and you are to make the round of all the conservatories in the city, and you are to bring us loads and loads and loads of the very best flowers to be had, and you are to order a marriage bell in orange flowers, with ropes of orange flowers, and you are to order— Take out your tablets if you have any. If not, tear the margin off the morning paper and make a memorandum, for I know the weakness of your minds and memories. Now, then you are to order the most aesthetic bouquet in the world for the bride, and you are to order nine of the next most utterly utter for the bridesmaids. For the Lord forbid that the bridesmaids' bouquets should be equal to that of the bride. Ten bouquets, nine bridesmaids, you say? Why, I thought, I thought this was to be a private wedding, said Roland Bayard, driving his fingers through his red hair. And so it is, my dear. We are a very small company of family friends, and that is the very reason why every man Jack and woman Jenny in the company must be an officer. Like the village militia, don't you see? No, I don't see, and I don't understand. Well, then, to come down to the level of your poor little wits, here are ten of us girls— Odalite, Wynnette, Elva, Rosemary, Melina, Arena, Sophie, Nanny, Polly, and Peggy. Only one of us, Odalite, to wit, can be the bride, or the captain, say, but all the rest of us mean to be bridesmaids, or officers, say. Ah, and where are your rank and file? Oh, the outside world, who are not invited to this entertainment. The officers must not be too familiar with the privates. And we are going to have an exclusive jollification— and now I hope you understand. And you had better be off at once, because we want all the flowers delivered by noon. And don't attempt to go anywhere, or do anything until you have executed this order, said Wynnette, in conclusion. Roland Bayard and the two grandiers walked off. Then little Elva whispered to her sister, Oh, Wynnette, those flowers will cost from thirty to fifty dollars. You know what awful prices Mamma had to pay for decorating her rooms every time she had a party. "'Well, what then?' inquired the thoughtless one. "'Why, those poor fellows will have to pay for them, "'and I don't believe they have five dollars apiece.' "'Oh!' exclaimed Wynnette. "'What a scatterbrain I am!' "'And she ran out without bonnet or shawl, "'and was so fortunate as to catch the three young men, "'who had stopped at the gate to buy a paper from a newsboy. "'Say,' called Wynnette, "'come here, you Roland.' "'And he came. "'I forgot to tell you. "'Have those flowers charged to my father.' "'Mr. Abel Force, you know. "'They will understand. "'They have all supplied Mamma for all her parties. "'You understand?' "'Yes, I understand. "'All right,' said Roland. "'And Wynnette ran into the house, "'and Roland walked on and joined his companions. "'But the deceitful, double-dealing young spendthrift "'never had bud or blossom charged to his host, "'but paid cash for all the flowers, "'thus making a deep hole in his savings of three years.' The day was spent in making the small final preparations for the wedding. At noon the flowers came, fresh and blooming and fragrant, because just taken from their stalks. 
Besides the bouquets, there were, according to orders, loads and loads and loads of flowers to decorate the drawing-room and the supper-table. The girls carefully laid away the bouquets and went to work to decorate the rooms. In the sliding-doors between the front and rear drawing-rooms, they made an arch with festoons of orange blossoms, and from the middle of the arch hung a beautiful wedding bell of orange flowers. Under this, they meant that the marriage ceremony should be performed. They meant to have everything their own way, or, to tell the literal truth, Wynnette meant to have everything her way, and to have every girl back her in that determination. The arch finished. They decorated every available part of the room with flowers, until the place looked less like an apartment in a dwelling-house than a bower in fairyland. When their labor of love was completed, the girls joined the family at an early dinner and when this was over they flew away to dress for the evening. Still Wynnette had everything her own way. It was she who had decided that the six girls from the country should be enlisted as extra bridesmaids, because, she said, it will please them and give them something pleasant to talk about for a long time to come. She had said to her mother, They are going to be Odalite's bridesmaids. And Mrs. Force had not objected. It was a matter of such little import. She had said to Odalite, These girls have all brought their white organdy dresses, white roses, white gloves, and the rest, to wear to the wedding, and they want to stand up with you and smile every time you smile, and sigh every time you sigh, and howl every time you cry. You know, they want to back you in this game. I mean, they wish to be, and they are to be your supernumerary bridesmaids, said Wynnette, emphasizing the last clause, so there might be no possible misunderstanding." Odalite was so happy that in answer to this she only quoted from Edmund Lear's delicious book of nonsense, I don't care, all the birds in the air are welcome to roost in my bonnet. And so it was settled that there were to be one groomsman and nine bridesmaids, a most unheard-of arrangement, but as Wynnette emphatically declared, there was no law against it. And now the girls were off to their rooms to dress for the occasion. End of chapter 12